You know, this has been a great series, and next week I'm going to tie it all together, I hope. And if you've only heard one message, they all, you can take them as one. But I hope that if you haven't heard all of them, that you'll go online. Because Pastor Corey brought a wonderful message. He opened up this series for us as he talked about our number one goal, and that was we wanted to live our lives to please God. And then follow that up with a message on run to win, how we win at life. And then we talked about last week how to enjoy life because God meant for life to be enjoyed. We'll see that later in the scriptures as well this morning. Today, I want to talk to you about a focused life. A focused life. I don't know if you like acronyms. I do. But I looked up the acronym FOCUS, and I found just a number of different ones that were, were put out there. But the one that I liked best was focus on one course until successful. Focus on one course until successful. And that's a, that really sums up what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ. I want to open today with two illustrations, and I want to talk to you about a young king named Adonijah, and I want to talk to you about a man that you've all heard about, probably, you probably not heard about the first one I just spoke about, we'll call him Ad for short, but the second man you've heard about, his name was Enoch, and Enoch was someone that's only referred to briefly, but in the Old Testament and the New Testament, he's referred to, and there's some that believe that you can find another passage that I'll mention later as well. Enoch was a man that pleased God. Adoniah was a man that lived to please himself. Adoniah, if you want to read his stories in 1 Kings chapter 1, you can read the story about how he lived his life for his pleasure. He sought to exalt himself. He sought to make himself a king. Uh, He was someone that had never been disciplined by his father, and because he had never been disciplined by his father, he never learned how to say no. Someone referred to that... uh, that his father, King David, failed to apply a purpose-driven paddle to his bottom. And so, you know, there are some things in life that you just, you know, we have to deal with with our children as they're growing up. Adonai not only sought his own pleasure, but he sought the wrong counsel. He sought for people that would tell him what he wanted to hear rather than what he needed to hear. And I think you could kind of sum up an admonition that the Bible has for people like Ad like this. And that is, set your mind on things above and not on things of this earth. That's what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Now, he's not telling us to be so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. The problem I find as a pastor and as a community leader as well is that most people have their minds set on all things of the earth and very little thought about eternity and what matters for eternity. And so the purpose of this message is to help us focus upon eternity. There is so much that distracts us in this this life. There are possessions that distract us. Nothing wrong with possessions. Our possessions tell us a lot about one another. If you walk into our home, the things that we have will tell you a lot about our lives. But at the same time, we've tried not to let possessions rule our life. I love what Chuck Swindoll told a story about a man in his congregation who bought a brand new Ferrari. Well, number one, I'd like to be wealthy enough to be able to afford to buy a brand new Ferrari, but he bought this brand new Ferrari, and he wanted Chuck to go for a ride in it. They took a spin in it, and Chuck Swindoll said, it's a wonderful car, and it's a beautiful car. He said, it just hummed, and he said, I'm not going to tell you how fast we went down the California freeway, but 12 cylinders can carry you awfully 
awfully fast. And if you've ever heard Chuck Swindoll preach a sermon, you know he just knows how to tell that story. He said, but the man told him, he says, Pastor, this car is driving me crazy. He says, I don't think I can keep it. And he says, why? Every red-blooded American male wants a Ferrari. He goes, Pastor, I'm always worried about it. I'm always worried that somebody's going to open their door into it. He says, I'm worried that it's going to get scratched. I'm worried somebody's going to hit me. He says, when I back it out of the garage every day, he said, I immediately begin to perspire. What's going to happen to this car? And he says, it's driving me crazy. And, of course, Swindoll used that as an illustration as how we can allow our possessions to rule us rather than rule our possessions. Sometimes we get all caught up like Adonijah did. We want to be popular. We want people to know who we are. We want our name recognized. We want to be recognized for either what we've done or who we are or something in our life. It's kind of, uh, there's a book written about the selfie age that we're living in. And I hope you don't go home and take down any pictures of yourself, but the, the author of the book has done a study, a psychological study and profile of people who just fill their Facebook page up with close-up shots of their face. He says, we know more about every single pore on an individual's face today than we've ever wanted to know because we're constantly posting pictures of ourselves and we want recognition, and we look for, according to the author of the book, we look for how many likes we get. And if we get a lot of likes, we feel affirmed and we feel accepted. If we don't get very many likes at all, now be honest, how many of you have posted something on Facebook and you've come back to see how many likes you got or how many people read it? And I've done it, and I, and I know that others have done it, because I was laughing at myself reading this book about this selfie age that we live in. And then, of course, there's some people, they're just all disturbed and distracted by politics. It's caused them to lose their focus. And some people, they've just lost their focus because they're worried about their finances and they're worried about their money. Today, I want to talk to you about the value and the purpose of living a godly life, a focused life. So if you would, stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord. And we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 first. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, read this with me out loud if you would, he was known as a person who pleased God. Can we say that again? He was known as a person who pleased God. Wouldn't that be great to have that embossed on our grave markers, that when we died that we were known as a man or known as a woman who pleased God? And it is impossible to please God without faith. What does that mean? To believe God, to follow God, to trust God. It's impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Let's go to the book of Genesis now, chapter 5 and verse 21. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. How would you like to be 65 years old and become a daddy again? Wouldn't that be cool? First service this morning, there were men shaking their heads all over the congregation, and it was my joy. Let me just tell you a little bit. My grandfather fathered my daddy when he was 79 years old. He fathered my aunt when he was 81 years old. I come from good stock family. And so when I read this, I have no trouble believing this. My, he was 65 years old. He became the father of Methuselah. Methuselah then 
uh, after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters, and then Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God, and then one day he disappeared because God took him. I want you to join me in prayer. I love you, Lord, and I thank you for these wonderful stories from the Scripture. I thank you that they are true, but they are left, as the Apostle Paul said, for examples for us to learn from and to follow. May we keep the main thing the main thing, as Pastor Corey preached in that first message. May we live our lives with one goal, and that is to worship you, to please you in everything we do, for it's in Christ's name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Well, there's not a whole lot that we know about Enoch. Enoch is the, I've read you the extent of what we know about him from the scriptures this morning. But the one thing that we do know about Enoch is very important, and that is that Enoch walked with God. He pleased God. He was focused on that one thing in life that matters more than anything else. There are some people that believe that Enoch is going to be one of the two witnesses. I don't know if it's true or not, but one of the two witnesses that the book of Revelation talks about, that there are going to be two witnesses that preach the gospel that have never died, and, and there are some that believe that Enoch is one of those. I don't know, but I do find that kind of interesting and fascinating since the Bible does say that it's appointed unto man once to die and after the death, the judgment. You know, I don't think it has to be Enoch, but I think I'll just put that out there for you because I know some of you come from a background, and I've been asked this question by people in our congregation, and whenever I'm faced with something in the Bible that I don't know, my answer is, I don't know. I'll help you look it up. I'll read what I can about it, but I'm not going to put a stake down on that because I think the important stake to know about Enoch's life is not what's going to happen in the future with Enoch because we all know, for those of us who've committed our lives to Jesus, we all know that we have a hope in eternity. We have eternal life with Christ forevermore. What's important is for us to look back for what the Bible clearly delineates about Enoch's life, and that should be the goal of every one of our lives is that we please God, that we walk in close fellowship with God. So I want to live my life focused on pleasing God. I don't want to live my life focused on pleasing Becky as much as I love her. I don't want to live my life focused on pleasing our four children as much as I love them. I don't want to live my life focused on pleasing my grandchildren as much as I love my grandchildren. I don't live my life as a pastor focused on pleasing the church or pleasing the community. You'll just simply go crazy if you're trying to please everybody. There's a psychological condition about people who live as people pleasers. So you can sum all of that up. You can wrap all of that up by living a life that pleases God. And I found out like Jesus, like his life, if you focus on pleasing God, you will grow like Christ. You will not only grow in stature, but you will grow in favor with God, and you'll grow in favor with other people as well. Can you see, man? It's just a way of living your life, focused on pleasing one face, and that's the face of God. Now, for a passionate follower of Christ, walking in the presence of God is our objective. Say that word with me, objective. Objective. That's an important word. I'm going to give you a second word in just a moment. We don't just call ourselves Christians here 
at Woodland, we have tried to define what Christians mean. Long before Christians were called Christians at Antioch in the book of Acts, they were called disciples. That's just how they were referred to as disciples. Some were called followers of the way, but they people who follow Jesus. What is a disciple? A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. So when we wrote our mission statement years ago, we call ourselves passionate followers of Christ. Why? Because a follower of Christ is a disciple or a Christian. We want to follow Christ. But we want to follow Christ passionately. It means we want to give Him all of our heart. We want to love Him with all of our soul, mind, and strength. We want to passionately produce pursue Christ. That's called living objectively. And if we do that, we'll live the kind of life that Pastor Corey preached about in that first message. We'll live the kind of life that is focused upon pleasing God. That's called worship. And that's called celebration because we give our hearts and lives to Christ, as the book of Romans says. We learn how to live carefree. We learn how to live in the peace and the power and the presence of God, according to Romans chapter 12. And therefore, we came up with our mission statement after reading over a thousand scriptures from the Bible and studying those together. We came up with our mission statement, celebrate God's love by persuading people to become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given our church. We've had many other churches that have adopted our mission statement, but I've always warned them, don't go through that process without, don't use that mission statement without going through the process of discovery that we do. Because when you walk in the presence of God, focused on pleasing God, that's your objective. Then you have a subjective experience. Say that word with me, subjective. You have the subjective experience of the peace of God. You walk in the peace of God. And many people come to me, and they want to know, Pastor, how do I experience the peace of God? Well, to experience the peace of God, you've got to follow Christ passionately. Jesus can't just be the Savior of your life, as the old song goes. He must be Lord of all, because if He's not Lord of everything, He will not be Lord of anything. So Jesus must be Lord of all. So the objective is follow God. The subjective is you experience the peace of God, and you live your life with that, that witness of the Holy Spirit inside of you that cries out, Abba, Father, you know that you're a child or you're a daughter of God. You've been born again because of the precious blood of Jesus. So Enoch, according to Hebrews 11, verse 5, he was known as a person or a man who pleased God. When the author Frederick Beekner was asked about this in Enoch's life, I just took this one little statement out of what he said, it's a staggering thought. It's a staggering thought. And friends, to think that you and I can live our lives in the presence of God, I think we say it so often. I think we, if you read the prayer I posted on Facebook this morning, I think we just take it for granted that the presence of God is with us. And so many times you hear prayers like, Lord, we thank you for your presence here this morning. Friends, if we know the presence of God is here, then we must sing with everything we have. We must pray with focus rather than thinking about the roast beef in the oven at home. We must listen to the Word attentively because it's God's word as we break the bread together and take the cup we remember the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice but we also remember his coming again it's what it means to live in the presence of God Dr. Henry Cloud taught us a way to be able to help people process this because in every section of pews in this sanctuary in every section of pews in this sanctuary I've had this conversation with somebody through the years and that is 
when confronted with the word of the Lord, I had one immediately after the first service this morning as I was praying with people. When confronted with the word of the Lord, you have to make up your mind objectively to believe God and follow God, and then subjectively you will experience the peace of God. But over and over through the years, I've had people say to me, I know what the Bible says, but I'm not going to do it. I know what I should do, but I'm just not going to. I can't do it. And then inevitably, and that word inevitable is important, I have prayed with those same people right here in this sanctuary, not in the pews, but as we've come to the altar together, and they said, Pastor, if only I would have obeyed God. If only I would have put God first. If only I had done that, I wouldn't have been in this marriage. I wouldn't have been in this business. I wouldn't have lost this money. I wouldn't have lost my reputation over and over. You see, to experience the peace of God, you first must believe God, commit your life to Him as the Lord of your life, and then follow Him. So Dr. Cloud says, he says, when you talk to someone and you want to help them walk through that, Ask them to imagine. This is not a question of your salvation. You've given your heart to Jesus. But ask them to imagine you're standing before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, and God says to you, Dan, why didn't you take that opportunity? Why didn't you take that opportunity I gave you? Why didn't you obey me in what I called you to do? And your wife, and maybe you say, well, Lord, my wife, and I know Debbie would never do this, but my wife would have blown a gasket if I'd have done that. My wife would have been so angry with me if I'd have done that, Lord. And, and you know what it is. Your Bible says it's awful to live in a house with a nagging wife and an unhappy wife. And Every man in here said, don't say it, you know, but amen, you said it inside, so I'll say it for you. Every man said that. But you also know that the Bible says love you, and so you try to, you try to pull a fast one on the Lord. How many of you know you can't pull a fast one on Jesus? And you say, but you said, Lord, I'm supposed to love her as Christ loves the church, and the Lord looks at you with those eyes of fire, if you read about that in Revelation 1. And he says, I love my church. I sacrificed. I gave all for my church. But I never gave in to the church's will. I called the church to follow my will and that I am the Lord of all. And suddenly you feel very small in his presence. Dr. Cloud says that's when people want to please people more than they want to please God. I'm praying with someone this afternoon that years ago poked me poked me in the chest and told me this was not God's will and all of this stuff, and, and then later came and said, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. You see, friends, the objective always has to be please God, and then you experience the peace of God. But then Dr. Cloud just kind of turns the screws a little further, and he says, you know what, you're right. Your wife, your boss, your neighbors, they would have gone through the roof. Your parents would have gone through the roof. I had a woman come into my office, and she just slammed my desk saying, my son is not going into the ministry. He will not be a pastor. We did not raise him to be a preacher. And that anger on her look of this woman who's supposedly full of the Holy Spirit, angry because God had called her child, I love her with all my heart, but I remember the day that her son died young and died early, and the pain was still there because her will was more important in her life and for his life than what God's will was. And time and time again, that young man says, Pastor, what do I do? What do I do? 
then God says to you, I want to roll back the curtain, and I want to show you what your life could have been. And you stand there, if God does this, and you stand there aghast at all the blessings and all that God had for you, if you'd have said yes to God rather than try to please other people. Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard all the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Can you say amen? That is such an important point, which leads me then to what is central to our mission statement. That is, the core of my life is Jesus Christ. The core, I want the very center of my life. We sing a beautiful song here at Woodland called Jesus at the Center of It All. Everything we do, whatever we are, we want Jesus to be at the center of it. You know, when you think about our call as Christians, last night we prayed, last night we prayed for the persecuted church around the world. They're literally laying their lives on the line. Their lives are being taken from them. As I read missionary newsletters of people we support, as I, as I get confidential mission reports that, we, that I'm privy to, there are people who are having their homes stolen, their farmland stolen, they're having their children stolen, their daughters are being impregnated and kept captive so that they can raise up children soldiers in some countries. Their pastors are being killed. Their churches are being burnt down. Others are meeting in secret right now, but they refuse to deny the name of Jesus Christ. And we consider some of the things in this country to be persecution. We haven't experienced anything like the persecution of the early church. We are not experiencing anything like the persecution of our brothers and sisters around the world. It's time to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Let's be inspired by the those brothers and sisters who have thrown everything on the line for a God they've not seen, for promises that they have not heard with their own ear, but they have the Word of God, and objectively they have put their faith in God, and subjectively they've had the peace of God to face an executioner's sword or bullet because they know that when they open their eyes again, they will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what it means for Christ to be at the center of your life. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. God wants you to enjoy life. Becky and I have sat with people in poverty in third world countries. I have sat with those who are persecuted for their faith, where we have met and worshiped in secret. And I have seen such joy, people who possess nothing of this world's pleasures, nothing of this world's profits, nothing of this world's possessions. They do not have a voice in this world's politics. They are not distracted by those things, but they are laser focused upon pleasing God because they know their next breath could be in eternity. And that has an awful lot to do with sobering you up about life. One of the great experiences of my life was when I was studying in Israel. And I got to spend some time praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's those trees that still grow in Gethsemane. They're growing from the same roots and the same trunks of the olive trees that were there when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And to sit there on that sacred ground and in that sacred space under the canopy of those trees, knowing that this very place was where my Lord and my Savior also spent an agonizing night in prayer. But I learned something about olive trees that just blew me away. 
That is, you can't tell the age of an olive tree by counting the rings to the core of the tree. For the olive tree sheds off its growth, and as an olive tree gets older, the center of it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you can't see it from the outside, but if you cut the tree down, you tell the age of the tree by the space in the heart of the tree. And what a lesson that was for me. Because like Isaiah 54 and verse 2 says, I want to make space in my heart. I want to extend my tent cords. I want to make room. I want everything else. There's nothing wrong with profits. There's nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with po politics. There's nothing wrong with possessions. But that is not what I want at the center of my life. I want the center of my life to grow and grow until Jesus Christ fills and consumes all. Can you say amen? And that's what I believe God is calling us to when we say we want, we want to experience the peace of God. There's only one way I know how to do that. That's through daily prayer and repentance, and that's also through not holding a record of wrongs that have been done to you. Because when you hold a record of wrongs and you remember, and boy, in marriages are we tempted to do that. You know, you did this, you did this. Sometimes we get into an argument about something and all of a sudden, if you're not careful, the argument escalates to include things that have happened several years ago. That's the reason the Bible tells us love holds no wrong. One man says, I hate to get into an argument with my wife. She gets historical. His friend said, you mean hysterical? He says, no, historical. She brings up everything from the past. You see, love keeps no record, and when we do that, the space, it just seems like as Jesus fills that space, then our hearts grow larger for our wives or our husbands. Our hearts grow wiser for our children and grandchildren. Our hearts grow larger for the church, for the body of Christ. Our hearts grow larger and larger because we see God's purposes for lost people and we find ourselves moving and walking not only in the peace of God but being led by the Spirit of God and our lives make an impact. We met Andre Agassi a number of years ago. He carried our sons around on his shoulders, one of the world's greatest tennis players. But when I was reading about his life, this paragraph I'm going to share with you just struck me. I felt so sorry for the man. I hate tennis. I hate it with a dark, secret passion, and I always have. I hate tennis, hate it with all my heart, and still I keep playing, hitting all morning and all afternoon because I have no choice. No matter how much I want to stop, I don't. I keep begging myself to stop, and still I keep playing. And this gap, this contradiction between what I want to do and what I actually do feels like the core of my life, or it feels like the center of my life. As I read those words, I've thought about the young men that I've met at Life Challenge when I preached there, and I've heard their testimonies. I hated the drugs. I hated the alcohol. I hated what I did with my life. I couldn't stop. It was the core of my life, and only Jesus Christ, the doctors, the medicine, nobody was able to deliver me, but Jesus Christ was able to set me free. Friends, when Jesus is the center of it all, when he's the core of your life, you not only live in peace, but you live in freedom, and that's what God brings to us. I got this beautiful note from a man in our church. I love you as a brother. You've just talked about everything I did growing up. 
I let my wife and child go because of drugs and alcohol. I didn't want it to happen, but I was in bondage. But the Word has worked in my heart, and now God has delivered me. And he goes through a list of things. He said, I never thought I'd be here, but Jesus did. Friends, God, it may sound trite, but God has a plan for your life. It is a wonderful plan. It is a glorious plan. It's an amazing plan, and it is a plan that will bring you life and liberty and peace as Jesus Christ fills the core of your life, the center of it all. So that's what I'm calling upon us for. And then, fourthly, a focused life reduces anxiety. A focused life reduces anxiety. I had a young man come to me after the service this morning, and he said, Pastor, what was that third point? And I laughed because here he is, young and getting started in life, and and I told him, a focused life reduces anxiety. You know, if he learns that while he's young, imagine the champion for Christ that he's going to be. If he learns that while he's young, imagine how God is going to use him. Imagine if you, when you were young, imagine if you learned not to be worried about your finances or not to be worried about your marriage and not to be worried about raising your children. Imagine not to be worried about the future. Imagine a commercial coming on TV trying to sell you a product you don't need, but it made you worry about it, and so you thought you needed it. One of the members of our congregation told me how she was delivered from an addictive shopping habit that was bankrupting her family, but she said, I just couldn't stop. And the only thing that stopped her was when she learned how to be a tither and to put God first in their finances and then realized from the tithing, then she, they had to learn how to save and how to put God, put themselves next and then live to take care of their families with what was left over. It broke her addiction. It broke her anxiety because she said, if I didn't have have stuff. I was anxious. You see, a focused life is not necessarily a rich life. A focused life is not necessarily a, a, a successful life that you would have in the media. A focused life is a life where Jesus Christ is the center of it all. You can't measure it in an Excel sheet. You can't measure it with a spreadsheet, but you can measure it in the peace of God that passes all understanding and in the fact that one day at your graveside, there will be people weeping but rejoicing. Weeping, their lives will no longer be blessed by your presence, but rejoicing because you are in the presence of God. This week, I had two more good friends who went to heaven. Last night, I was texting with one of the sisters. We were remembering and reflecting upon that beautiful life, that godly life. She lived as a passionate follower of Jesus. When it's just a few years younger than me, went into the hospital ill and did not come home. This COVID crisis has taken more lives in America and in the world, I have been told, than World War II has taken. We're living in a time when none of us knows if tomorrow could be our last day upon this earth. And it is important that we understand what the focus of our life is all about. It's the kind of preaching that you would expect to hear during World War II. 
when the English people were hiding in the subway tunnels, when the English people were hiding in the sewer tunnels. And Martin Lloyd-Jones recalls that when they would go down in the tunnels, the people did not want to hear the gospel, though the bombs were falling, though they wanted to, to, they wanted to hear bar songs, they wanted to be told anything, but the bombs are falling. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, that great pastor of Westminster Cathedral, said, it would break my heart at the hardness and the deception of sin, with death lurking around the corner, knowing that those people I huddled with in the tubes might the very next day die during the German air raids, did not want to hear the gospel. Beloved, I pray that those of you listening, I pray that you are here today, will hear the call of God. Only one life that really you get to live, and it matters, it's important that we live it for the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. This life matters to the Lord. You see, to be successful means to please God. To experience the fullness of God means that you wake up looking forward to tomorrow because you know He holds tomorrow. You may face an executioner's bullet. You may be in an icy ward in a hospital. But to be a passionate follower of Christ also means that you're growing. I recently apologized to my wife. When I'm studying and writing, time just goes away. There are times when I'm supposed to be in a meeting and the staff will come knock on the door and say, you're late. You're supposed to be in this meeting. But I, when I get there, psychologists call that a flow. And I literally, what may seem like hours to some people, seems like five minutes to me. But the more I talk to athletes and the more I talk to other people very proficient at what they do, they tell me in what they do, the same thing happens. It's called flow. Once you're in that area of your giftedness, it may be music for you. It may be carpentry for you. It may be running for you. It may be uh, any number of things. It just, you just, time just disappears. You're in the zone, as an athlete would say. You see, when you're in that flow, when you're walking with the Holy Spirit and Jesus is the center of it all, today and tomorrow, you may be facing difficult times, but you know that God is with you. And to you, everything is okay. America is not about to fall apart today. It may fall apart eventually. It probably will fall apart eventually. But I'll tell you why I know it's not going to fall apart today. Because there are still passionate followers of Jesus Christ in this nation, and the church is the salt and the light of any community, and the nation will commit suicide if it tries to limit the freedom and expression of worship. Can you say amen? So live at peace with that. Number four, a focused life is my story, and I'm closing. It's I'm out of time, but stick with me because this is so important. A focused life is my story. Jesus becomes the model for life then. You say, Pastor, how can Jesus be a model for your life when he was never married? Oh, Jesus teaches me how to be kind. Jesus teaches me how to be forgiving. Jesus teaches me how to be patient. Jesus teaches me how to be loving. Jesus teaches me how to be a team. Can he not go on? I mean, everything I read and study about helps me to learn to be a, not only a better husband, but a better father, a better pastor, a better citizen. You know, Jesus paid his taxes. And as much as I hate to see April 15th come around, Jesus still paid his taxes. I have never caught a fish with two coins in it, but I would like to. <laughs> okay. But Jesus models all of this for us. It's just so important. 
I was invited Dave Reaver to come speak at our, one of our local high schools. As a matter of fact, we did a whole tour of the state of Georgia, and there were so many high schools that flung open their doors to us, and we're happy. If you don't know who Dave is, Dave is a, has spoke for Billy Graham a number of times. He's a decorated uh, war, uh, Vietnam vet that uh, had a phosphorus grenade explode upon him. Just a powerful man, loves kids, loves God. And I remember we were praying outside of the high school. First high school we were going into, we were doing then big services at night in city auditoriums and convention centers for Vietnam vets, and that's another whole story. But we're sitting in my car, and Dave prays like this. You're going in to talk to these high school students, and he says, Now, Father, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to make the gospel like candy. Let it melt in their mouth and explode in their hearts. Let it melt in their mouth and then explode it. Make it as sweet as candy to them. And I thought, that's the oddest prayer I've ever heard anyone pray before they go up to preach. And, you know, having traveled for 12 years, I've heard a lot of pre-service prayers. But that was, the, that was the most different prayer. But I found myself praying that prayer for you this morning. Let it melt in your mouth like M&Ms and then explode in your heart like dynamite, okay? That was my prayer for you. And so I hope God answers my prayer. And if he doesn't, it's because you weren't listening. That's why, okay? So let it melt. Well, we got in there, and all of a sudden, students began to heckle Dave when he was preaching, and I thought, hmm, it's not melting in their mouth very good. But he didn't let it rattle him. He didn't let it razz him. He's, 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 he'll tell you his, his face is hideous. He, he sat down at a piano, and he began to play the piano for the kids, and he said, I learned to play by ear, and he took his ear off the side of his head because it's plastic, and he played the piano, and of course, the kids were eating that kind of stuff up. He put it back on, and then when he's preaching the gospel, they start heckling him. Well, Dave doesn't let it daze him. He just simply walks up into the bleachers where the kids are heckling them and continues to share the love of Jesus and looks at them and says, you know, they heckled Christ at Calvary, but he still looked at them, and he still loved them, and he loves you. He's not angry with you. One of them looked at him and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, I want Jesus to remember you. And then this big Marine walked right back down the steps, right back to the center, preached the gospel. It melted in their mouths like candy. It exploded in their hearts. In a few minutes when he gave the gospel invitation, they packed the gymnasium floor, and there were the hecklers as they were giving their hearts to Jesus. I got to know them. I got to help get high school campus ministries established there. Let me tell you something. The reason God gave you a story is so your story would connect with other people's story. Look at what Timothy, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy here. He says, Tim, God saved us. God called us to live a holy life, and he did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. Paul shared his story with Timothy. They were different as night and day. Paul persecuted the church. Paul killed people that followed Christ. Timothy grew up in a godly home. Timothy probably could not remember the day that he began to love God because he grew up with a godly mother and a godly grandmother. That's just how he grew up. Two different men, but Paul's story resonated in Timothy's life, and Paul discipled Timothy. God gave you a story that will resonate in somebody's life. It will melt in their mouth the way candy does, but it will explode in their heart because it's the Word of God, the power of God unto salvation. And then finally this morning, a focused life says yes to God's purpose for life. God has a purpose. God has a plan for you. 
God wants to use you. Haddon Robinson, that great preacher who went to heaven just a couple of years ago, Haddon Robinson who taught homiletics at Gordon-Conwell and wrote some of the best books on preaching I've ever read, he said, you will invest your life in something or you will throw it away on nothing. What are you investing your life in today? Are you investing it in pleasure? Are you like Adonijah? You're trying to build a name for yourself. Are you investing it in profits? Are you investing it in politics? Are you investing it in, in, in pursuit of, of everything else in this life? There's nothing wrong with those things. But if Jesus is not the center, if what you're doing is not all for the glory of God, then you will never know subjectively the peace of God that these brothers and sisters who inspire us with their stories is they shed their blood for Jesus Christ on foreign fields far away. But you can shed your life's blood by giving your life and using what God has given us, the prosperity in this nation, the peace in this nation, the freedom to worship in this nation. You can use these talents that God has given us. They are not to be taken for granted. There's never been a country like the United States. Never been a nation like this. And it's not so that we can live our lives, get old, and play shuffleboard in Florida. It's so that we can live for the glory of God. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. But when he was finished, he had finished God's plan for his life. How are you doing on that? Are you pursuing God's plan? Look at me right here, everyone. Are you pursuing God's plan wholeheartedly as a passionate follower of Christ. This week I've been praying with a group of people who were willing to share one of their most important dreams. As I pray with them, my prayer is, Lord, help them keep you at the center. If you're at the center, you will be the gyroscope. If you're at the center, you will be the compass. I am confident they will all make good decisions. I am confident they will make good decisions because they're passionate followers of Christ. There are nearly 10 people I've been praying with about that this week confident they'll make the right decision. One of the couples I prayed with this morning after this service, confident they will make the right decision because Jesus is at the center of it all. The empty-headed, do you know what empty-headed means? The foolish, the simpleton. My mama told me one time I was talking too much. She said, you sound like an empty wagon. Empty-headed. The empty-headed treat life as a plaything. The perceptive grab its meaning and make a go of it. Your life has meaning. Your life has significance. And as long as you're alive, I sat in the family room of a couple in our church in their 90s. Said to me, he said, Pastor, we're so sorry we can't be at church anymore. We're so sorry. They still tithe. And I told him, I said, you know what? The most important thing you can do for Woodland is pray for Woodland. Because as long as you are breathing, your life has purpose. Boy, what a prayer meeting we had. Matter of fact, in a few minutes, I have forgotten something and left it in their house. In a few minutes, it's bad to make two 90-year-old people get up and come back to the front door again. I came and knocked on the door again, and she looked at me, and she says, I thought we got rid of you. I needed that. I needed to hear that. Her husband was laughing in the background. He, he said, 
tell Sister Becky, come on in, come on in. I said, no, we're just going to get this and go. But you see, that memory will last a long lifetime for me. Just her saying those words to me, I thought we got rid of you with that big grin on her face. Friends, as long as you're breathing, you've got to grasp the meaning of life. Jesus said, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you called me to do. Would you stand with me this morning? Going back to Chuck Swindoll, in a devotional book he wrote called The Seasons of Life, he said there are many great starters in life. He said, but there are too few finishers in life. Many people that make a go, make a start, but then they don't finish. I'm asking you this morning to make a commitment to run with everything you've got as you pursue and passionately follow Jesus Christ. And if you're listening online, I pray that you will pursue Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe something that I've said has resonated with you this morning, and you know that God sent His Son to die for your sins. Please don't treat that like an empty-headed person. Please don't look at the cross and think to yourself, you know, it doesn't really matter. I've got time. Please don't heckle and say, you know, it's not for me. God loves you. And just like Jesus looked down from that cross on people heckling him, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That's love. You cannot define love without looking at the cross. Because when you look at the cross, <clears throat> you understand what John 3.16 means. For God so loved the world. So I'm asking you, and maybe some of you here this morning, would you pray with me to commit your life to Jesus Christ? Just pray something like this. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love. And though I don't deserve it, you still sent Jesus to die for my sins. I'm sorry that I've ever been numbered among those who've heckled the gospel, who've heckled you, and who've treated you as though I can make you wait on me rather than wait upon you. So as much as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. And Father, thank you. Thank you for loving and saving me. I want to live focused upon you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Pastor Corey is going to come, and he's going to share with you something we'd love to send you to help you get started. If you prayed that prayer with us, and if you did, be sure you email me here at office at Woodland, and then he will dismiss everyone. If you prayed that prayer with Pastor today, and we have this book for you that we'd love to give to you, it's going to help you on your next steps and your journey in your faith. And so if you've prayed that prayer and you're watching right now, if you want to email us at office at woodland.church 
we'll be glad to send this to you. And if you're here right now, if you just stop by one of our tables as you're exiting and just say, hey, can I get that book? We'd be glad to give it to you. Also, as you're leaving, don't forget to uh, give today and to give the um, communication card as well that I mentioned earlier today. You can give so many different ways, but um, don't forget to give and God bless you. Have a wonderful day.